0: This feels so so good. We them guys. Let me bring you on the block. This the movie Red Box. We don't like the Red Sox. Fire hydrants on blast when the town get hot. Drink tequila by the ounce at the hookah spot. If you ain't from here, you cannot survive here. But you with the crew, so you can come disguise here. Step up in our shoes. Let us give you the news and tell you all the things that others who scared to. My city worldwide. So how can I fear you? We wasn't raised on a sick code. I'ma spare you. This is not a scene that you can compare to You might as well soak it all in while you here, dude Cause this is the birthplace of rap R.I.P. the pun yeah. Couple more seconds and the show's begun I uh-uh. said birthplace of rap R.I.P. the pun yeah. Couple more seconds and the show's begun And that's From the Bronx with love, from the Bronx with A. Bronx with love, from the Bronx with a, Bronx with love, from the Bronx, wit. Bronx with wit. a, Bronx with love, oh Oh, oh, Bronx love from the Bronx with, Bronx with love from the Bronx with, Bronx with love from the Bronx, with, Bronx with love, Welcome to From
1: the Bronx with whoa. Love, a podcast whoa. where we explore whoa. pop culture, food, whoa. music, whoa. Whoa. and as a bonus, random rants, all done with a multicultural lens. We're your hosts, Karen and Dom. Hola, Dom, ¿cómo estás? Bien y tú? Muy bien. And. I am actually, you know, this, this new intro song. How do you feel about it? Cause I like want to get up and dance.
2: Love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. And I remember, um, when I heard it, um, in the person who worked with us, shout outs to Guapo James and Justin, uh, Stacia, who helped us, um, when I first heard it, they're like, yeah, we're going to do some minor tweaks. I was like, how can you tweak perfection?
1: Right. That's what I was thinking too. But then again, you know, we're all like very picky when it comes to like things that we work on. Mm -hmm. So I totally understand where like that perfection is coming from, Mm -hmm. but I totally fell in love with the song the first time it was, it's amazing.
2: It's great. It's great. (laughs) It totally sets the mood for, um, you know, how we're feeling in 2019. What have you been up to? How is this 2019 treatment? Yeah, um, not well. <laughs> oh. I feel like every time... Okay, so in going into 2019, I do feel like every time I'm talking to you, I'm like, you know, supplements, and I'm sick, and then I'm tired, and I have to go to sleep. But actually, December did kick my ass. I um, did fall ill because um, I was with family, and family were also ill. And then there was a small bout of a hospital... Um, stay not with me I was in the hospital but like you know when you go to the hospital especially during this time you're gonna come out with like a cold yes so going into 2019 I don't have Karen's immune system because I was not eating mud um, at three (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did not feel great um That was just physically, though, I wasn't feeling great mentally and emotionally. I'm feeling very at peace. And um, I think I am maturing and understanding finally a little bit about being more patient because I am thinking more long term. And I understand that, like, because things aren't happening right away, I have the power and the agency to make things like put things together together. Um, So that they fall into place. So I'm not saying I'm completely patient though. So don't quote me on that. But I'm getting closer to being more patient. And that's a good thing in 2019 versus how I was like 2015.
1: That is true.
2: Huge growth and development. I'm also getting (laughs) older. Um, Yeah, whatever, whatever, Karen. (laughs) I'm not having this from you. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. This will
1: be like an ongoing discussion between you and anyway. me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting older and wiser and my knees are hurting. And Karen's like, absolutely not. You're sounding like father time right now.
1: <laughs> so, you know what? I actually think that, I mean, it's not good that you got sick, obviously, mm-hmm. but you got it over with.
2: Yeah. Like December, there were so many things that happened, like, from the twenty first to the first of January, and I was saying this to another friend. I was like, "Okay, I know like bad news. Sometimes they say bad news comes in threes. Yeah. I had a, I was, I didn't have a lot of bad news. I just had like a lot of bad things happen <laughs> um, in terms of health wise. Nothing too grave where I was like on my deathbed. But yeah, I was like, okay, it all happened, and we're good. We're yeah, done. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Well, unlike you, I have not gotten sick yet. I know yet it's, or probably, at all. <laughs> it's probably coming, Hooks. I know it. Mm-hmm. But other than that, let's see. I've had a lot of time to catch up on sleep
2: mm-hmm.
1: and TV. <laughs> yeah. And I actually want to reveal something.
2: Oh, wow.
1: So Good. before we jumped on this hangout to record, hmm I purchased a ticket Mm -hmm. to San Francisco. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so exciting. I was so nervous because in my head I was like, okay, this is the first time I'm traveling alone. How am I going to do this? Should I do it? Should I not? I was like, you know what? Last year I spent a lot of time working, and this is the year where I have to take advantage and spend that money that I saved up because in reality I was working a lot because I, I already had like plans for this money uh-huh. and yeah, I'm going to San Francisco. I've been wanting
2: to go for a while. So That's yeah, amazing. And when, uh, when are you f- departing? Like what? What? I'm- <laughs> <laughs> I leave,
1: um, January 22nd. Oh my
2: God. Yeah. So it's from
1: basically Tuesday to mm-hmm. Friday.
2: That's amazing. Um, definitely drop me your pin. Oh, of course, hooks. You, yeah. I was just
1: going to tell you. You <laughs> need to keep track of me. Yeah, yeah.
2: I will put SPD or SFPD, San Francisco PD, on my phone. Any ambulatory services, I'm on it. I'm on <laughs> it.
1: So yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous because mm-hmm. this is my first time going alone. Yeah. And shout outs to our co-worker, Peggy. Because remember, Peggy went last year to San Francisco around this same time.
2: She did. And the pictures were incredible. And she did yeah. have a great time.
1: And I also, like, I give her a lot of credit because she went alone. Like, this was, this was her first time taking vacation. Mm-hmm. And she decided to go alone. Yeah. I was like, girl, yeah, I go, girl. Because I was, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do my first trip alone.
2: Right. Um, I, my first trip was also last year. Oh, that's right. Um, and I did it with a friend. And then when we traveled again, it was you and I, I've never traveled on my own either. So, wow.
1: Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm nervous. (laughs) I'm excited.
2: (laughs) You are just, you, like, are kicking off 2019. You're like, 2019 is a bucket of water, and you just, like, karate kicked that. Yeah. (laughs) You're like,
1: I'm ready. And actually, this is the first of my trips because in February, I have another (laughs) one.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, look at you, I'm dropping all these bombs on you. Okay, Carmen San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this second trip is going to be, I believe it's in, I haven't bought the tickets yet because this is like, we're just going to take a bus, but I'm taking my mom to Washington. Oh, that's yeah. so lovely. So this is a um, mother-daughter trip, first mm-hmm. time.
2: That's so lovely. I have family in Washington, it's Washington DC, right? Not Washington the yes. state. No, no, um, no. Uh, I have family in Washington, D.C., and I've traveled there um, several times. It, Wait, it, you
1: went last year, didn't you?
2: Yeah. Right. I did. hmm
1: Okay, so I'm going to need, like, a recommendation from you as to, like, what places to eat and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, because I'm mainly taking her because we want to do, uh, obviously, we're going to be touristy, and we want to do, like, a tour of the White House. <laughs>
2: The White House may be, just be one of the things. I would say the Smithsonian um, Museum you can go to. That's like the National Museum. And probably the National Mall you could go to f- visit. Um, I want to say the Martin Luther King monuments. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, no, there's other things to do. I mean, I'm very biased. I was like, I don't want to see the lighthouse because <laughs> of who's inhabiting it.
1: I know. But the thing is that my mom is soon going to Mexico. Right. And you know how now, Presidente, um, what's his name? Obrador. Obrador, yes. Mm-hmm. He now opened Los Pinos to the public.
2: Yes, I did hear about that.
1: So, everyone is claiming that Los Pinos is way bigger than the White House. Probably. And my mom has never visited. So, I was like, you know what? If you're going to Mexico. This is a good chance for you to, like, see the White House and then go see Los Pinos. And, yeah, just Compare. tell me how, how it is. Yeah.
2: Oh, you're going to make her so cosmopolitan. She's going <laughs> to be like, mm, you know, it's no big deal, both of the places. <laughs> She's gonna so, be like such a hipster. she's gonna be like yeah whatever I saw it before it was cool
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I told her I was like nope don't waste your time As soon as you go there stay in the city for like two days visit los Pinos before like it gets old or something like that mm-hmm. So yeah, I think like that's like the big news that I had for this wow. early 2019.
2: Check you out. Oh my goodness, here I am. Just like I survived the cold, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope that this is
1: the beginning of a few more trips for the year. Mm-hmm. I really want to put it out there. I want to do more traveling this year, yeah. So I want to start off on that, on that, um, like right foot,
2: yeah. That's great. Um, I'm hoping your energy also um, reverberates or trickles down or have or energy works um, to me because the reason why I'm not planning um, more personal trips is because I'm planning a documentary that um, has a lot more travel in it uh, because it's about the United States and birth rates in the United States. And I have uh, on my itinerary to go to um, Georgia, Mississippi, Texas, and California. So San Francisco and Los Angeles are on my hit list for um, filming. Oh, so, uh-huh. and then we also have a couple weddings that I've invited Karen to go to, which Yay. includes traveling. So I'm hoping that like you start off the your travel kickoff energy and it like just, you know, permeates and like my travels will be just as blessed.
1: They will. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they
2: will.
1: Yeah. We're, I'm, I'm so excited. We mm-hmm. have trips planned, whether it's individually or together, obviously, mm-hmm. because of the wedding. But I think this is a good sign.
2: Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is great. I'm yes. like still astonished. I was like, this little minx <laughs> just doing things, not telling me. Meanwhile, I wake up and I tell Karen what I'm eating. I tell Karen that I'm still breathing. And this is, you're leading a whole double life without me. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I mean, I'm happy. For now. For now. Oh yeah, this
0: feels so, so good.
2: So I'm not sure if
0: you
1: guys can already tell, but we're pretty high on energy. I think like the excitement of all of our travel plans, it's what's like kicking up this energy. Mm -hmm. But that has not always been the case.
2: Mm -mm. I know I can speak for Karen. (laughs) I feel like maybe we're still slightly either gun shy or triggered. There's slight PTSD going on. Surrounding this, and um, I'm sure a ton of other millennials probably have the same negative feelings. But there is a pretty big, um, lengthy Buzzfeed article that came out. I think it was pretty well written by Anne Helen Peterson. And if you've been on social media, I saw it first shared on Facebook, and then I saw it on Twitter. Um, it's talking about the millennial generation and why we're considered the burnout generation, um, and yeah, like Karen said, we have not always had such sustained, happy, um, vibrant energies um, because, you know, life gets in the way. And by life, most of it, we mean interchangeably work. (laughs) Because I would say, I don't know for you, Karen, but like 80% of My life, at least my adult life, has been work.
1: Yeah, I would have to say the same thing. I started working probably when I was like 17, 18. Mm -hmm. And obviously, while I was in college, I was doing both. And after I graduated college, you know, it took me a while to find work, but I was still waitressing. And then eventually, like, I got into, like, my field
2: hmm
1: and yeah i'm telling you adult life uh.
2: <laughs> it is brutal i know um the i really think the author Anne helen peterson i think i mentioned her um i think she did a really good job though um detailing really what it is like articulating how we felt um I remember <laughs> reading it, and the first person she was discussing or talking to, I believe his name is Tim, and he was talking about like how monumentous it was to like do simple tasks, like going to the post office, and on its face, that kind of seems like silly, you know what I mean, like things that are no brainers, you know, just like hop a train or if you're in the suburbs, get in a car, you know what I'm saying? And just like run errands. But I found myself really like resonating when with her and, um, with Tim, when she said, um, she brought in, she introduced the word errand paralysis. And I was like, paralysis is a really good word to describe how I felt. Um, uh, with regards to, um, burnout. So sometimes like anxiety can manifest in the form of like procrastination, but it also can, um, overwhelm you to a point where you just like cannot do something (laughs) or you can also experience disassociation. And when she like put those words together, I was like, Oh my goodness. I, it's not just like Aaron paralysis. I know very famously, everyone who's listened to me for the past couple of episodes or weeks or months or whatever, they know very well how I feel about emails. <laughs> I think you
1: have mentioned it in, in the podcast where you said that you wanted to abolish email.
2: I be, I'm still holding that to be one of the hills that I die on. I remember seeing this because I felt really incapacitated by the amount of emails that were coming in my inbox. And even though it required like maybe 50 of them, um, cause I was doing a lot of outreach, maybe 50 of them just really needed like a template response back. Even getting to the point of opening up. You felt like it
1: was such a tedious task and you just kept postponing it and postponing it. Even Uh, though in the back of your head, you knew it was easy.
2: Yeah. It's, I knew like logically it was easy, but then seeing like 50 of those and 50 of like the tasks that I needed to do, but like the whole inbox was like 200. I was like, I can't really deal with this right now. But I think
1: it had a lot to do with, um, just, everything that was going on Mm -hmm. in terms of deadlines and meetings Mm -hmm. all everything would just like come together. And then obviously in the job that we do, not everything goes as planned. And there was Mm -hmm. always like emergencies to look out for.
2: Which you know how I feel about (laughs) (laughs) with like the emergency or like the urgency when it comes to these things, because we're literally not dealing with emergencies with, like the terms of human cost. So like when they make it seem like that, it's very I think to me I find it yeah. manipulative on the corporations part to be like this is urgent. Nothing is as urgent as like life or death in the operating room. One thing that I
1: do want to mention that really really like just put me on edge was that a lot of these deadlines we're not really dependent on us because we depended on someone else submitting this mm-hmm. content on time. Mm-hmm. And so as much as, you know, the higher-ups try to rush us, it's like, what else do you want me to do? Like, I'm emailing these people constantly, mm-hmm. but there is so much I can do. Like, what do you want me to go up to their door and knock?
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've said that so many times. Yeah.
1: But I think, like, it also translated to my personal life because mm-hmm. by the time I got home I was so mentally exhausted that I mm-hmm. just did not feel like doing anything else mm-hmm. as simple as things were like returning something that I had bought and just didn't fit or whatever even that seem like the world's hardest task
2: Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking at a pair of boots right now that I ordered online that don't fit me. And I actually did have ample amount of time that weekend, but it was probably the most stressful week I had leading up to that weekend that even though I knew I had time to go to the post office, I was like, okay, I gotta go to the post office and then I gotta get it, like, get a different box for it that's, um, like from the post office itself, then I got to write an address and then I have to like do all these things, (laughs) (laughs) which does not sound like a lot. And like, it even sounds like we we even sound a little bit privileged. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we have a functioning post office (laughs) (laughs) and we're able to do it. But still, when you put it into the context, our mental health is like drained. And I know, um, and I'm going to lead into this, but I know when they try to diagnose you um, in therapy and then at least like for depression, let's say, a lot of things have to affect um, your, I think it's like uh, activities of daily living. That's what it's called, your ADLs. Okay. Um, and if like with depression, sometimes you sleep a lot. And if the sleep sleeping affects your activities of daily living. So like you're sleeping so much that, you know, you're unable to really do things like Um, things that you would do normally in life, like, you know, showering or cooking. And it's like gone into the point where it's very disruptive. Then it's a problem that just like should um, go further into diagnosing. And I feel like with burnout, we're talking about things that. Yeah, we we can muster the energy to do work, but literally that is. All that we have so the work and the stress that came with it was being incredibly disruptive mm-hmm. and disrupting our activities of daily living one of the activities that we do is running errands so something as small as running errands and the inability to do that poses a question of like something bigger at play here oh, yes yeah
1: And in the article, Mm -hmm. they did refer to how, and this is perfectly to what we were talking about. It says that, you know, I'm going to read some part of the article. And it says, My partner was so stymied by the multi-step, incredibly confusing process of submitting insurance reimbursement forms for every single week of therapy Mm -hmm. that for the months he had shifted That for months, he just didn't send them and ate over $1,000. Yep. This is so relatable.
2: Mm -hmm. It's so relatable, in fact. That's actually what I was going (laughs) to get into. Oh. (laughs) Um, So we are talking about Aaron paralysis, but I did... have a really bad anxiety attack the summer of 2016. So I entered um, graduate, my graduate studies, which was film school, um, 2015, um, August, 2015. And it was a pretty intensive comprehensive program, which is two years. And normally most film programs are actually three years or two and a half years. But in two years, or rather 18 months, we had to have a film um, as part of, like, our capstone project, which would, like, lead to our having an MFA. Um, I've always been a film enthusiast and I've always loved media, but this is was such a radical um change for me. Like I have never been really on a set except for like the prior eight months before where I was working with a couple of friends working on a web series. Um and even that was very collaborative. Now this like kind of fell on my shoulders in terms of responsibility. And I was also working two jobs
0: a in the lot. city.
2: Yeah first time living in, this, in, in the city on my own. So they gave us the summer of 2016, basically. Our assignment was basically to just like come up with a very um, thorough production packet for your upcoming film. So then when you go into the next semester, most of the work is already done for you, you know, and that's a really good strategy. But even getting up to the point where I had to do the production packet Not really having had ever done this role, doing it mostly on my own, obviously the production, I had a crew, but me as the sole producer and director had to pretty much put this whole thing together on my own in three months. I had the worst case of disassociation. I kind of felt like out of my body, out of place, really foggy and hazy, Um, and that actually is what prompted me to go to therapy. So like I have been in therapy since 2016 um, because of that one, um, that one uh, attack that I really realized. I was like this, I haven't had, um, I've had anxiety for as long as I could remember since like high school, but I haven't had like an anxiety attack where I felt really out of body um, in a really long time. So I knew that oh, was a really God. big issue. And what else was playing into that was that at the time we were working at a startup and <laughs> <the> startups are <laughs> very precarious, especially when it comes to finances. And if you're not a salaried employee, um, money can be hard to come by. Um, and I was putting in a lot more hours than I was being, um, monetarily valued for in addition to working, um, on this project. Um, so I kind of just like had that anxiety attack breakdown. Um, and that's <laughs> when I saw the therapist thing, I was like, yup. Uh, thankfully I did have insurance at the time. So I did not have to constantly put in claims. Oh, um, right. But the insurance thing, like it was, it's, it was a more steep, co-pay which i'm like okay i'm going to therapy to get like you know some kind of comfort for my anxiety but then i'm getting financial anxiety because like paying for therapy is kind of expensive at least at that point when i was going to it yeah Mm -hmm.
1: and you were you were doing a lot like i don't know how you managed
2: i look back and i don't know either and i i know people like you know, an undergrad or a grad will like, you know, do Adderall or oh, take, right. a, take some supplements to help them out. And I didn't you even didn't. do that. Um, I know it came at a really great cost, which was my health.
1: Yeah. So. And this goes, there's another part in this article where it, it, it's talking about, you know, the ordinary things that we do, like running errands mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, The author writes why can't i get this mundane stuff done because i'm burned out why am i burned out because i've internalized the idea that i should be working all the time Mm -hmm. and this reminded me of that article that where elon musk said that people should work 80 hours a week to change the world that's
2: disgusting
1: right like excuse me sir when am i gonna sleep when will i eat When will I just sit and watch TV? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I cannot work 80 hours a week. Like, I'm not a robot. Right. And maybe he has... The time to do so because he has people that clean for him, people that cook for him, people that watch his kids, if he has any. I'm not I'm not really familiar with that.
2: Oh, he does. He has five boys.
1: Okay. He probably has, like, a full stuff of, of nannies that help him out with that. So, of mm-hmm. course, he can say, let's all work 80 hours a week. But not everyone has that luxury.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was one of the things that really stood out to me because I think, like, even at our job, they made it seem like that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know, you should like, read articles related to the industry, outside of work, da da da. And
2: uh. Yeah, I just like, I wanted to, um, introduce, so, I remember even before reading this article, which I think is like, amazing that she wrote it, and wrote it in a language that's really accessible. Um, Cause I know there's like, there are other theories out there, like some that I'm going to quote, but they're <laughs> harder or more dense. I would say not harder. They're essentially talking about similar things. It's more dense language. Um, Cause it's philosophy and economics. Um, and I'm really happy that she was able to like, she really wrote this in a really accessible language, really relatable, um, yeah. really getting down to like, articulating our material conditions as millennials <laughs> and like why that has such an adverse effect on our mental and emotional well-beings and sometimes our physical well-beings. Um, stress can manifest itself physically. But I do want to like contextualize by like I remember <laughs> I you know you know during the summer I had like a bit of a reading kick and I was reading so many books um, and I'm In my reading of this article, it like really made me remember reading Mark Fisher's um, Capitalist Realism, where he like talks about um, post-Fordist society and and economics, which is like Fordism, which comes from Ford, like the company and the car Um, which kind of revolutionized um, industrial manufacturing because it came like did more like factories and manufacturing in terms of like um, the assembly belt. So it was like easier where people weren't just um, one person wasn't putting one car entirely together. It was like a group of people and each section of the factory was working on one piece of the car, putting in a car together. So that's like manufacturing ind- industrialization. post fordism is like what happened to the workplace after it. And that's like managerial and things like professional classes like us or like creative professional classes where we like went and got a specialization. We have a degree and we work in offices. So that's what post-Fortism um, okay. uh, means. Um, or is referring to. And I'm looking on Wikipedia and it's called, it's basically saying post is the dominant system of economic production consumption and associated socioeconomic phenomena in most industrialized countries since the late 20th century. Yikes. Yeah. So we went, we moved a little bit far further from like, industrial manufacturing to this. So we're in a post fordist society. Um, and it's, you know, it talks about capital and work and labor and whatnot. And I just want to like pull out this quote, which you already started to articulate um, from the book, which is on page three, four. And it says, work and life became inseparable. Capital follows you when you dream. Time ceases to be linear, becomes chaotic, broken, down into perfunction divisions. As production and distribution are restructured, so are nervous systems. To function effectively as a component of just-in-time production, you must develop a capacity to respond to unforeseen events. (laughs) You must learn to live in conditions of total instability or precarity, as the ugly neologism has it. Mm, That sounds relatable. (laughs) (laughs) So this is really talking about like the structures that are in place that kind of seep in to our own consciousness. And I think... Oh, oh, go go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say it seeps into our consciousness that then we transform to be agents of the structure not the other way around
1: yes and you know what I think it also has to do with the way that jobs are structured now Mm -hmm. and I think it it also it's because well ever since I graduated college I've been working in startups Mm -hmm. I think that's the same thing with you right Dom absolutely okay so in startups obviously it's a cool environment you have this cool office with, you know, lunches here and there. And even my friends that have visited the office say like, oh, your office is so cool, like mine is so boring. Mm-hmm. But what happens in our jobs is that we're basically on all the time. Yeah. So let's say we get to leave work on at like 5 o'clock or whatever. Most likely that means that we come home and then eventually have
2: to be answering emails from bed. Yeah. Sometimes I'm answering emails on my way home.
1: Oh, I can't. So I really, I don't know how you do it, Tom. That is mm-hmm. one thing I was never able to do. I was like, you know what? I need to disconnect at least for like the time that I'm on this train. Mm-hmm. So that by the time I get home, I just kind of like look at my emails and I'm refreshed for a little while. Yeah. And in the article that we're referring to, the author talked about how, she worked as a nanny, you know, after she graduated from college Mm -hmm. and she wasn't making a ton of money, but also her expenses were less and she was able to clock out. (laughs) (laughs) And that is one of the things where like, when I, graduated college, and even while I was in college, I was working in restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. After I graduated, it took me a while to find work, so I continued to work in restaurants. And when I finally entered the professional world, I guess, if you want to call it, Mm -hmm. I realized that, sure, I was not standing on my feet or whatever, but I was sitting down for extended amounts of time, which eventually took a toll on me, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I could never really clock out. Mm -hmm. Because I was very accessible, whether it was Gchat, Slack, email, even text. Yeah. I was never fully off the clock.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is one
1: of the things where I'm like, is it really better than working at restaurants? Because I remember when I finished my shift, I clocked out. Do not call me unless the restaurant burns down, to be honest.
2: Exactly. And I think
1: that's what gave me the energy to also still do my errands and then come refresh the next day and just be ready for the next
2: work day absolutely yeah I remember at one point um when I was being so underpaid despite like at this point I had both my specializations I had my undergrad and my grad degree I was like I honestly don't care I'd rather be at a place where I'm clocking in and clocking out um, so then I want have my, my number one goal was peace of mind. But then I also was like, I really do want to work on my own projects, which probably would inevitably make me some kind of capital. But overall, if it's like the goal is to survive, um, let me do a clock in and clock out, um, kind of job and I'm not saying this because I haven't done it before I actually did I was a hostess um all throughout um grad school um but I was a hostess and I was also working what on paper would have seemed like a really good um a good professional job yeah but like on my resume you would be like oh why would she even need to have hold another position that's my resume, my bank account. And like my yes. benefits and my 401k don't say the same thing. Yes. Because oh,
1: my you just said the perfect thing.
2: Keep <laughs> on going. Sorry for interrupting you. No, no. I was just going to say you said something where we we're talking about on, like on the same page of <laughs> capitalist realism. And I remember reading this because I was like, oh, my God, this was like meant to be done on purpose. Um, Basically, they talk about flexible specialization, which is what you were saying is like people when you talk to people about your office, you're like, yeah, you know, you can make up the times you come in. You can work from home. It's quote unquote flexible. Mm -hmm. And in the book, um, Mark uh, Fisher, he quotes uh, Christian Marazzi, um, who says like this flexibility is defined by a deregulation of capital and labor with the workforce being casualized with an increasing number of workers employed on a temporary basis and outsourced. Mm, That sounds familiar. That's us. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was like, despite having... Um, many like despite having years where we worked in several startups, they still you never knew when you would come into work and work would not be there. There was yes. still always a sense of precarity. So yeah, you can dress it up and call it flexible and say like it's on your terms, but the real the real deal of it is it's not that it was on our terms, it's that like it's hanging on by a thread. And it's hanging on by a thread because it's not secure. And you're like with um, some of our experiences, they were outspending more than they were making to keep on employees. And even then, we weren't even being paid the worth that is dictated by the market. Yeah,
1: it was more like they were spending money that obviously they didn't have on just how cool the office culture was. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what, I think this is also one reason why they did that is because they wanted us to spend more time in the office. Mm -hmm. So the cooler it was and the more food and booze it had, obviously we were going to be like, "Eh, okay, I can sign off email, but still chill here in the office and sometimes, we didn't even really sign off. We were still on, on our emails, hanging mm-hmm. out in the office. Mm-hmm. But I think it's purposely designed, just as the book said.
2: And I think you would also bring a really good point about um, how they're like subtly making it like maybe reverse psychology kind of thing. It's like, no, you actually don't want to go home because we make <laughs> it so nice here. Yeah. And <laughs> then we can extract more labor yeah. from you. Mm -hmm. it's nothing like they, I would say there is an element of like, yes, we care about you probably to the extent like we care about you. So you don't die at your desk.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) And so that you continue doing all this hard work for us. Mm
1: -hmm. But I do think, I I think that's where it differs as to like, let's say when our parents had jobs versus like the current work culture, because There was a time, obviously, you clocked in, Mm -hmm. you clocked out, you went home to spend time with your family, no one bothered you, Mm -hmm. and you came back the next day ready to work. And that's Mm -hmm. not the current situation nowadays. So as maybe, like, you know, older people might say, oh, you millennials complain about everything, like, this is what being an adult is, like, working and running errands and all this stuff.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But the work culture has changed, which is why now very simple things like running to the post office or doing laundry have become such tedious tasks.
2: Absolutely. I love it that you segued into bringing up our parents or like the older generation, because I think somewhat we kind of lucked out when it came to our parents, but I think it's also because um, they're obsessed with us. (laughs) So they're like, I remember telling my mom how stressed I was and she was like, no, quit, come home, Everything is here for you. I will feed you. I will <laughs> blend the food, mainline it into your mouth. I'll chew the food for you. i'll make her, I'll make your bed for you. So I think we lucked out there, where like our parents were like, "No, you don't need to be stressing out this much. Like we're still here as your resources. But the overall generation, I think that probably has to do with their they didn't grow up like in like American boomer economy where, like, I know suburban American people who are of my parents' age and maybe a little bit younger grew up during, like, a really great, prosperous economic time. And they were kind of insulated from having to work as hard as we do, even though they said they work hard. Yeah, they worked, but they also were living in a time where, like, college was probably two cents. (laughs) And they always had a summer job. And after college, they could just intern and go straight into a job and work there for 20 years and retire. Yes. So yeah. it's very easy for you to say, like, get your stuff together. When, when it was your time and you were my age, you had, like, pretty much everything set up. Like, by 27, people were deep, well into their 401ks. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I think we lucked out there with our parents, which is nice. Um, they're still hard on us because we're immigrants.
1: <laughs> yeah, that standard that, that we're held up to.
2: Yeah, but they're yeah more nuanced and supportive when it comes to like us stressing out. I think it's because our parents understood that struggle
1: of what it was to come to this country. Um, wow. Without having any support, like, and no one to lean on. And so now they're like, oh, well, I went through that, but that doesn't mean that my children will have to go through that same struggles. Like, like they have me so that they can lean on. And that's why they continuously offer their help. And we know that they're there. If, like, anything was to happen, like, we can rely on them. Like you said, my mom will also just, like, make my breakfast, make my dinner, like, anything to make me happy if, if I'm going through a difficult time at work.
2: Absolutely. But yeah, you bring up, um, I guess, our parents' generation or that generation in general, especially when it relates to American culture. Um, And the author also brings up like the boomer generation, basically. Um, And she writes that like, we, us, millennial generation, have less equity Mm -hmm. than the boomer generation but we're more in debt than the boomer in generation. We're the most in debt generation with the least amount of equity to our names overall. That's something that's like very institutional. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very hard when you look at it for what it is to then say, individualize it and moralize it and be like, Oh, you know, it's just you when we're literally all in the same boat, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, turn around and say it's just you. That's being really ignorant and intellectually dishonest.
1: It's everyone our age, basically. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, like you said, that we're the ones that are more in debt. It's because I think, like the new generation, mm-hmm. realizes that college is not really like crucial. I think a lot of them have realized that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they're like, okay, why are we going to go in debt? And then that doesn't guarantee us a job anymore like it used to back then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And obviously with this current work culture one day you have a job, the next day you don't. Yeah. So then they're like, okay, well, why should I even bother? Why don't I just like start my own business? I feel like a lot of them are like that now because I'm starting to see it on Instagram where there are people that are younger than me and already have their business. Like they're their own boss. Yeah. I think like in certain aspects, yes, college is important, but college is not for everyone. And if you it really feel it. like college is not for you, why even go just to bury yourself in debt when you probably, you know, make a better living out of like something else.
2: Mm -hmm. If you absolutely feel like you need a specialization, maybe like you really feel your vocation, like vocational stuff. So like you feel your calling is to be like a doctor or nurse. I'm not saying like, you can't, like, be an entrepreneurial doctor. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you're going to have to have some kind of (laughs) training. But, like, I don't know, like, other things. Like, if you just want to be an entrepreneur, yeah, like, go for it, to be honest. Yeah, and I think with this this current time, there's so many resources. Right, and it would be nice to be in a society where, like, you know, we have our – like, our – wages aren't tied to our work like we have money and then we have also the flexibility to just use that money to invest in our own um, Mm -hmm. businesses and then we can invest in the economy without like having something tied like work for another person yep (laughs) for our survival like the fact that insurance is tied to wage labor that's the most ridiculous thing it's the most ridiculous thing so like people literally either have to choose between like their well-being and maybe death if they have like a a, a um, illness that requires some kind of medicine or like like and they have to work <laughs> to get yeah. to, like to get that medicine or not which is insane to me it
1: is yeah
2: And so it would be like really great to be in a society where like many people at least have an option to, you know, seize the means of their own production.
1: (laughs) And I think people would be more creative because if you don't have to worry about like, oh, I need a job in order to have health insurance, but I really have this passion project and I can't develop it because obviously if I get sick, what's going to happen to me? Mm -hmm. So if we already knew that that aspect is taken care of, I think there will be more people that are creative and focusing on what they truly love. Absolutely. It's just going into a job, which they dislike, they become stressed, and you can also get ill from the stress. hmm Yeah. So it's like this never-ending
2: cycle. Yeah. I think this is what she was like, basically, this is a thesis of the article. <laughs> we like hit like the major parts that really resonated with us. Um, yes. When you guys are listening to this and you get to the end of this, um, we'd love to hear, um, because we're going to link this article and we're probably going to retweet this a couple of times. We'd love to hear, like, what stood out to you, um, because I would gather most, if not all, of our listener base is millennial. (laughs) Probably. Um, So we'd love to, like, hear your own experiences. I understand that, like, what we're saying and we're, like, talking about, like, philosophy and economics and structural and like economic collapses and like our personal, like, you know, mental and emotional deterioration. Um, Fear not, it doesn't stop there. Um, I do wanna (laughs) I do wanna say that we are really, it's really important to lay the context and to lay out the reality and have a really honest discussion about what's going on. Um, And I always say, if you know better, do better. Um, And if you really, like, find yourself in, like, a fog and you really don't understand why you're feeling the way you're feeling, um, I think listening to this and reading and understanding maybe a little bit more helps you contextualize and maybe even articulate that fuzzy, nebulous feeling you were feeling about, like, your energy and, like, just, like, why do you feel... um, so down Mm -hmm. and it's like not just like oh I'm tired it's like in your bones kind of exhaustion but we are also going to be following up on this with like our own um experiences on like what we do to kind of either stave off burnout or how we've been able to recuperate some aspects of our lives from burnout Um, I know we talk about it in bits and pieces, like, you know, me and my supplements and my working out, um, and her and her, her, a lot of self-care. Um, but I'm really happy to say that we're also going to be interviewing, um, the Tomorrow Talk podcast with, um, one of my really good friends from high school who, uh, he didn't graduate the year of the crash, but he did end up graduating while, you know, unemployment was really low and slow. He's, um, into wellness and has his own wellness, uh, um, practice. And tomorrow talk really does talk about, um, wellness as it pertains to millennials and particularly millennials of color, which we are. So I wanted to say like, yeah, this is kind of, um, kind of sad, (laughs) We're talking about. But we do have um uh a second part to this where we're gonna discuss more uplifting and like things that we've done. Um, not to say that we're all perfect and happy and content, um, because like the author said, people will say this is life, but yeah, this is our life. It is, yeah. Um, it's just uh there's a really hard learning curve in Understanding how to cope, and that'll be um, coming soon. So, yeah, I just wanted to Stay say glad. that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, this one's so, so good.
1: And These moving to amazing. our next segment, which is highlights Bag Ladies.
2: Nice.
1: They're having their, well, as, since I started listening to them and following them on social media, mm-hmm. this is the second live show that I will be attending. Awesome. It's in Jan- It's in this month. Um, I believe it's on the 28th. Yes. It's on the 28th of January, and it's going to be their second live show. Well, first of the year, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I really want to highlight them because they're doing great. Yeah, they are. I love their show. And so keep it going. Shout outs to you. Do your thing. Educate people. Just, just keep on doing all the great work you're doing because I love it.
2: Awesome. So you're going to be like jet setting, going to live shows. <laughs> <doing> yes. <laughs> and then when it comes time to Fashion Week, I'm going to see you like in the front row or something. I hope. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: So, so so good. Um
2: are you sending to help? There has been um a spike in conversation um with regards to uh R. Kelly with the um docu-series that's now completely aired on um Lifetime. It's a six part docu-series and I highly suggest people um I would say I highly suggest people with regards to like, I want to give like a very strong stern trigger warning for people who have experienced any um, abuse of that sort to maybe probably be careful of that. But if that is something, cause it's still triggering, but if that's something that might not have been your experience, but you want to understand um, and be an ally to survivors, I would highly suggest you watch it. Um, it's, really hard um but i would say like everyone who was complicit in decades-long abuse of young girls including aliyah um Ooh. yeah uh so everyone in his camp, his team complicit people who are still strident fans of his which is weird um and himself go go one way trick it one way ticket i mean just get out of here um i don't care if you're like well it's allegations like there is literally literally video evidence of him being really inappropriate impropriety with a minor and it's not even like it's really horrible i haven't seen it and refuse to watch it but yeah that was back in what, early 2000s? So if that was happening then, please do not come up here in 2019 saying, <laughs> give the benefit of the doubt because there is absolutely no benefit of the doubt. An acquittal does not mean in, uh, innocence at all. It just means there might not have been enough evidence as constituted by the law to, be, to put him in jail. That's all it needs. So um, anyone who's still supporting, condoning, thinking, "Oh, they need more," that's nonsense. Uh-uh. You're not standing with the survivors, and you're not you're not being a good ally. And I think, um, yeah, it's it was a really hard way to start off the 2019. Um, but because we're in an age of Me Too. And the Harvey Weinstein um, expose really rocked us, and I think we Mm -hmm. should talk about it, all of it, all of it. Thank you, Dom. (laughs) You're (laughs) welcome. I set them all. I did my job. You did. (laughs) I saved saved the world. (laughs) As always, for joining us um, and listening to us talk, and we hope that you find some sense of comfort in knowing that, like you're literally not alone. Even the cutest, most fabulous uh, podcasters in the world have suffered, too. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram. We are on Spotify now, Google Play, SoundCloud, and obviously Apple Podcasts. So, yeah. Follow us everywhere. Please leave a review because those are very important. Catch you guys on the next episode. Bye.
0: Weed guys, let me bring you on the block. This is the movie Red Box. We don't like the Red Sox. Fire hydrants on blast when the town gets high. Drinks a kilobata ounce at the hookah spot. If you ain't from
2: here, you cannot survive here, but you with the This podcast was executive produced by Karen Almonte. You can follow us on social media to keep up with your favorite Bronx ladies. From the Bronx with Love is part of Anthology House Media.